Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. This week's episode will be the last of the talks that we released from the Elevate conference, the startup conference we did a few weeks back. Uh, this is one of my favorite talks from it. Dale Sky Jones, the executive chancellor of Oaksterdam, the cannabis university in Oakland, She's super inspirational and really one of my favorites. She enlightens us on what we should be thinking about legalization looking forward and what the new generation of cannabis founders needs to know about the industry. Uh, You're going to really love the episode, guys. You're going to be inspired. She's one of my favorite people in the industry. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. All right, guys. So we've talked a lot about upside today and sort of blue sky, and why you should invest, and why founders should be all fired up. So I just wanted to take one segment to sort of talk about the risks associated with this industry, talk about what you're getting yourself into, still with a positive slant, um, but we're going to kind of dissect the legal initiatives that are upcoming, and as founders, what you should be looking for, kind of your heads up. So I thought, who could I have this conversation with? And uh, we have Dale Sky Jones here today, the executive chancellor of Oaksterdam. She's a cannabis professor, as a, in addition to being the chancellor of Oaksterdam. I don't know of someone that's more informed on these topics. Maybe I do know them. If you do, like, put your hand up. I'll interview you. But Dale, please come on out. Pleasure to see you. Thank you. Hi. Thank yeah, you. Oh, you get some love. Thank sure. you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And if there is someone that knows more than me, I'd love you to contact me. <laughs> I'll put you on our stage as an instructor. All right, Dale. So we're in Oakland, and uh, it has become a serious hotbed for cannabis. I mean, yourself, Arcview, Gateway, Magnolia—it really is a center for cannabis today. Why do you think Oakland has turned out that way? Well, I think Oakland was the most forward-thinking city to begin with. Jeff Jones was the first to work with a city, with the OCBC, the Oakland Cannabis Buyers Cooperative, 20 years ago. And frankly, it was because Oakland had bigger fish to fry, bigger problems than cannabis. They had gun crime and gangs and, frankly, issues with their own police department. So to have medical necessity patients actually go somewhere for them instead of street dealers, they thought that was a pretty good idea. And that has just simply continued, specifically because of education. The founders, OCBC, Jeff Jones and Robert Rach, went in and educated the police department, the city council. Uh, They desensitized the fear factor. Uh, And I think that just telling the story of what they were doing and why they were there and introducing the people that they were helping uh, went a long way. Hmm. Got it. So everybody sort sort of wants to get enamored with Full legalization, adult use. I know you hate the, rec- the word recreational. I'm starting not to like it that much either. But let's be real for a second. Let's talk about what's already passed here. MRSA, which people use the acronym too much, so I'm going to read it out. Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act. As a founder, I mean, you see a lot of founders come into the space. What do you think the biggest things they should be aware of when that, passes, when that comes into effect? Well, and and you mentioned two things. Uh, Semantics are actually important, the way that you frame the discussion. Uh, The good news is MMRSA is now MCRSA, so it's now the Medical Cannabis uh, Regulation and Safety Act. Um, New markets are created, especially and specifically in this industry, uh, through law changes. 
and most of these changes happen first at the local level. So getting a locality like Oakland to change the law then gives faith to, say, the county or the state. Um, Oakland employees have actually come to Oaksterdam University to get trained, and I'll, I'll have you guys know that uh, sitting in my building right now that I left to come here are 41 agents and auditors of the Board of Equalization. There are opportunities abound, and these, these folks really want to know what to do next and how to accomplish it. Uh, and the other thing about semantics that you mentioned, you gave me an opening, I have to jump on it. Do it. There's a reason why not to say recreational, folks. <laughs> what do you think the soccer moms are thinking when they hear recreational? There are still voters trying to decide on this. We have a responsibility as operators and as an industry to behave as though we want our industry to be, and if this isn't for kids, stop making it sound fun for children. The only time I recreate is with my children. And I'm just sharing with you that semantics are really, really important. And if this is not for kids, we shouldn't use that word. There's plenty of other words to use, like adult, because then they don't think of their 12-year-old recreating with cannabis. They think adult. Uh, retail, wholesale, commercial. Uh, there's other ways. So I hope all of you go back and do a little control search and replace the word recreational with the word retail because that also changes hearts and minds as to who you are and what you're trying to do. And you're not trying to push drugs on kids, so stop sounding like it. And, and that crosses over uh, in the way that we write our laws. It behooves you to be involved in the way that these laws are written. With what happens uh, when these laws take effect, the business plan that's sitting in your briefcase right now, you can put in the shredder if they're only allowing five applicants in the entire state. It's also hurting your market share. If you stop and think about, say, Florida, for instance, uh, the first cultivation licenses that were issued in Florida, there were five. Florida's a big state. So only five cultivation licenses, and incidentally, you had to be in business, in the nursery business, continuously for 30 years before you could even apply for a license. This is how those laws were written. And I'm looking out at this audience, there's some diversity in here. How many colored people do you know owned nurseries in Florida 30 years ago? How many people of color? How many women? How many veterans? And that is why you need to be involved, because if you actually want an entree into this industry, there has to be enough licenses for people to be involved, and that benefits you as well, because if you have five people to sell to, or you have 5,000 people to sell to, as far as businesses, you're gonna do a much better job as an entrepreneur if you have a service to offer with a much bigger field to play in. So the other semantics question is pretty interesting. Woo! Well, Woo! <laughs> Aside from recreational, <clears throat> the word cannabis is very important. We've had this conversation a couple times. I try to use that word as much as possible. Sometimes I say weed if I'm messing around or whatever, but I try to speak about it professionally. 
Why is that so important? And do you use the word cannabis exclusively? Do you slip ever? ever? Well, I think we all slip. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect or one of you will catch me in the next five minutes not being perfect. So, no, I make at least three mistakes a day. Uh, the reality is the, the history of the word marijuana comes from some dark places. It, there are racist undertones and overtones. But the best advice that I can give uh, without going down that rabbit hole, uh, and it's worked for me for years now, when I refer to the failed policy, I refer to marijuana, the old way, marijuana prohibition, that marijuana prohibition has failed. And when I talk about new cannabis policy reform, that's where we use the word cannabis. And so when you're talking about the failure, I think marijuana is entirely appropriate as part of that failure. Uh, and cannabis is, is the scientific term we're trying to move towards. It also includes much more. Right, so that includes all the cannabinoids, it includes edibles and tinctures, and whereas and if you hemp. say weed, yeah, hemp, which is a cannabis, not sativa, L, yeah. uh, it's all the same, and and it definitely refers to the whole plant, whether it be for food, fiber, medicine, fuel, uh, sickness or or wellness. Um, yeah, it refers to it in its entirety, rather than that stuff that just makes you go crazy when you smoke it. <laughs> Uh, let's indulge everybody for a second. Let's talk about full legalization, AUMA. Uh, sounds like it's going to pass, fingers crossed. Do you also agree it's going to pass? Is that... You know, my crystal ball is a little fuzzy. Um, I'm not, like, I've worked way too hard in the last six years for inevitable. <laughs> There's no such thing as inevitable. And the opposition recognizes that California represents one-sixth of the United States economy. Now just pause and think about that. It doesn't matter what we represent to the rest of the world. Yet we're between sixth and eighth there too, but nobody cares about that. What Congress cares about is that one-sixth of the United States economy happens here in California. And so the way that California rolls will largely determine how much pressure Congress feels to act. And I just want to remind you as like, I get in trouble sometimes because Oaksterdam University, we got harassed by the base for calling it the cannabis industry. We coined that concept as part of our training program back in 2007. It's still a movement. Until the federal law changes, we are all in the same boat. And if you're not involved in cannabis policy reform, you're barely you're barely above the ostrich awaiting the fate of the dinosaur. Depending upon the face in the next White House and the Attorney General that goes in after the fact, uh, all of this could change. This current environment is based on opinion papers, not law, policy. And so that can change if the federal government changes the way that it is choosing to allow this social experiment to happen. And so you have to be involved in pushing to that next level. Most of the people here are, are either entrepreneurs or investors. Uh, the point is your business. You're not patients trying to fight for your rights to safe access. You're business trying to fight for your right for normal tax deductions. Um, and, and you have to get involved in not just requesting it, but demanding it from your local leaders and your elected officials or participate in electing someone different in your locality, because that also speaks volumes. It's really just a matter of showing up. You have to show up to vote. Then you have to show up for jury duty, <laughs> because if you can hang a jury, uh, by the way, there's, uh, you don't get in trouble for hanging a jury. 
Nothing bad can happen to you as a juror. And as we stop convicting people for doing the same thing that you're about to go into business to do, you get safer in the business that you're trying to operate. One of the concepts was to overgrow the government. The idea behind that was to have so many businesses operating that it would turn into selective prosecution. They can't possibly stop you all, and pretty soon everyone else will realize the sky didn't fall. Cats, in fact, are not sleeping with dogs in Colorado. Yeah? And we're starting to see the benefit of this, this experiment. Look, after we lost Prop 19, in 2010, we were the first, I was the spokeswoman, uh, I married the co-proponent, <laughs> Mr. Jones. Uh, we were the first to ask the question about legalization uh, since the 70s. Um, so for the most part, it was like, what? Huh? It was a matter of if, not when. And since then, I spent six years studying how do we change the world after all? Because this is no small feat. And it takes two things, it turns out. And all of the influence research I've done around the world of how do you change a society's view on something that is baked in. None of us remember before cannabis prohibition. Not like alcohol. You know, they were only in prohibition 11, is it 13 years and 11 months? Or 11 months and 13? Anyway, yeah, that's about right. Under 14 years. I can do math, really, in my head. I, can't. I just can't do years. That's my problem. Um, the point is, folks remembered what it was like before. They realized it got much worse, and then they took action to fix it. So you talked about prohibition. We're at the end of that here, so it seems. And you touched on diversity a bit. Um, I think the overwhelming consensus or sort of perspective is that minorities and women have a better fighting chance in the cannabis industry. That there's, they're more represented at higher places. Is that true? Do you see that? I'm going to say overall yes, but that is tenuous at best. I come from more corporate America. Um, while my mom was one of the original hippies that helped borrow the field for the three-day music festival in Woodstock, uh, she then went and became a neonatal intensive care unit nurse and uh, radio and television personality. Um, I went into corporate America and, and tiptoed uh, back into this about 10 years ago. Um, I sort of lost the thread of your question, I'm realizing. <laughs> Diversity. <laughs> Diversity, thank you. Um, so I come from that world. And the whole time I was in that world, I was the only woman at the table most of the time. Um, in the last six years, I found myself being pushed forward and uplifted. Um, I don't know if I was like the, the guinea pig on the... <laughs> whoops. Um, elevated. Elevated, oh, uplifted, elevated. Yes, go elevate. I think that this industry has a unique opportunity because it's not been regulated and there are not yet glass ceilings for women to have to break through because the roof hasn't been built yet. Heck, we barely have walls on this thing, right? All we really have is a foundation. And so for people of color, for women, for veterans, for people that traditionally are not in leadership roles, there's a unique opportunity in this industry and for this industry to get it right in ways that other industries never have. But I also want to point out that it is extraordinarily difficult for women, people of color, to get financed, to find the money. This is still America, this is still 2016, and it is still easier for a white guy 
to find financing. I mean, I just want to tiptoe into reality here. So we have some unique opportunities to get this right. I'll tell you in the next five to 10 years if we did. That's on all of you. All I can do is squawk from the stage, but it's going to take folks like you and cities like Oakland. Oakland itself just did something that the shockwaves are still being felt, and I'm not quite sure when it comes to earthquakes how much damage this one's going to do to our own hometown before it's, it's felt elsewhere. But after years of me squawking from a stage about diversity and inclusion, Oakland City Council just tried to encode it in law that if you come from one of six police beats or if you have been incarcerated due to a cannabis conviction here in Oakland, that you have first priority on licenses that are given out in Oakland. Yeah, you can applaud that. It's not quite right in the sense of how it is being uh, promulgated. There are still a lot of issues in, in how this is going to roll out. The question is, does this become that thing that Oakland did? Or does this become a concept that might be able to grow to other cities and counties and states to try to not just allow for, but keep the door open for uh, the folks that have been not only most negatively impacted by marijuana prohibition in the first place, um, and yes, this is a form in a way of reparations, which is a bad word. Um, but it's to make sure that the, what I call experts, you know, the people that got arrested for this in the last 20 years, <laughs> the folks that really know what they're doing, um, that they're not kept out of the new legal industry in the process. Yep. Very well said. So you have this great background. You've been here uh, probably in the industry longer than most of the panels uh, that have been here. I want to call you old. You're just very experienced. <laughs> so cannabis I, I, years. I'm, cannabis yeah, cannabis years. years. Yeah. They talk about that, right? Like, it's true. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the red flags that you see often from people getting into the industry, founders? I mean, what is this like, oh, I can't believe that person did that again? <laughs> well, I think one of the, the neatest things, I mean, we've had almost 30,000 people through the doors of Oaksterdam. And one of the neatest things that happens is that you are bringing your best practices into our industry. This is a widget. It's very similar to other things you're familiar with. It's different too, but remarkably similar. And so folks that come into this industry, especially people that have a, a business background, uh, that have done this before, perhaps you're a serial entrepreneur, or at least you've owned a business. I owned a restaurant once upon a time. I think I can do this. I know this. I know to hire a CPA. I know how to create a business structure. And I think that the danger comes in thinking that the rule book is the same. There are a unique set of, of risks within the cannabis industry that are distinct and unique from anything else that you might undertake short of prostitution uh, or gambling. I mean, you know, gambling has come out of the darkness into the light just over the last decade. And cannabis in, in, in several ways is very similar. But the reality is the laws are different, the rules are different, and therein lies the danger. We, uh, I don't want to say trick, but we, we do. We trick people at Oaksterdam that you come to learn how to grow uh, you come to learn how to start a business, and I force you to take prerequisites first, because I feel a moral imperative to teach you what you need to know before I will teach you what you want to know. And unfortunately, a lot of other schools don't do that. But that first two and a half hours of explaining to you what not to do 
is the most important and often the most expensive lesson because that's where you lose everything in the what not to do. And I fear that folks that come into this industry without a concept that, see the rule book? Okay, take a left turn and then go out into right field. This is not like, you know, throwing a, a baseball where, where you know, as long as I do this certain thing this certain way, I'm gonna huck it over the plate or at least in the general direction of the plate, you know? Sometimes you don't get it as far as you want or maybe a little to the left. This industry, it's kind of more like, oh, I'm sorry, kind of like releasing a goose. <laughs> Picture that. I mean, you don't know where it's going to go. You think this is the goose that's going to lay a golden egg, and it turns around and bites you. I mean, have you ever met a goose? They're unfriendly sometimes. They flap. They go crazy. They go behind you. They poop. I mean, there's all kinds of things that a goose might do when you try to release it, and that is very much like what you're about to undertake in the industry. And the other thing is that because we're not there yet, it's going to take longer than you think it will. Now, this is important because it has to do with how much money you ask for. In most businesses, it's going to take a year before you have real operating profit. You know, I'm thinking like restaurants and things along those lines. It's usually a year before you start to, to get back making money. But what if your permit and your city council decide to have that, you know, 12.30 a.m. meeting to go change the rules and regs of your particular city council that then sets you back not only 12 months, but in some cases, three years. But meanwhile, you've got the best location in town, you know, the only one in the green zone, the only one that's really going to get approved by that city council, and you still have to pay rent on that location at three times market rate while you wait. This stuff matters, and this is how many folks might fail, is because they don't account for the, the difficulties. It's not just business risk. It's not just political risk. You have social risk, which actually is more impactful than you could possibly imagine. And you have legal risk, which many of us have started to talk about. But if you're not aware of, say, the 280E rule, and there's a few of you freaking out right now because you don't. Better look it up. Because when you get audited, you will lose everything if you didn't know about it before you started. And that's important because the one thing you don't get back is time. And if you don't know before you started, there's no going back. You were so informed. Aside from going to Oaksterdam, which everyone should do, it's an amazing program. Where are your sources? I mean, how do you build this curriculum? How do you stay so informed? Give people some tips where they should look up to AD. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, bridging to the source is very important. We actually have about 150 subject matter experts uh, that come in and help us build our curriculum. And, you know, everyone knows that guy, you know, the one that knows exactly how to do it. They know the path. They, there's one way, and, and he's going to tell you what it is. Don't hire that guy. You know that guy. That's the guy you should not hire, or gal. You know, gals can be that way too. There is no right answer, and, and this is part of what's so tricky right now. With the MCRSA, we're getting closer to answers. Really, you just need to know where the lines are so you don't accidentally cross them and lose your permit or lose your license or some of those other things. And unfortunately, a lot of this, well, fortunately, the information is all on the internet. Unfortunately, you don't know 
if whoever put it up there knows what they're talking about or is that idiot or asshole that you shouldn't hire in the first place. Um, I think the best source uh, for information, first and foremost, is the, the government or the locality that put it out. Um, start with the source. So when it comes to MCRSA, uh, if, if you Google it and you have 10 options of where to look, don't go to the blog, go to the legislation, the legislator's website um, and, and take it from there. Uh, we mentioned cannabis years. If you guys are familiar with dog years, uh, we started talking about cannabis years. There is a distortion field. Uh, I thought it might just be me, <laughs> but it turns out, um, while it might have originated in Oaksterdam, folks that just go through our class one time, they tend to be the expert in whatever room they walk into. I caution them that that does not mean you're now a consultant, buddy, okay? <laughs> you're not quite there yet. But anyone that's been doing this for even two years, uh, easily putting their shingle out as a consultant, I would say your best advice, or my best advice, is to triangulate the information that you receive. Do not depend on one source of information. Whatever you hear, go try to tag it off of two other places and see if the information matches what you heard, and then that's a good way to move forward. You're setting up for success, you're preparing for the worst, and then you're winging it. And that's the other bit of advice. You have to be quick on your feet. Did you hear what I said? Adaptable, set up for success, prepare for the worst, and then wing it. I made this up as I went along, okay? And it's kind of crazy to think that like she's saying she just made, made some what? You're supposed Is she to be crazy? the expert, you can't just make but, stuff But up. here's the reality, we were the first cannabis college I did not, as a little girl, imagine myself running a cannabis co This was not on my list of things to do growing up. I didn't even know you could be one. Failure of imagination on my part. <laughs> but when you're the first, where are the rules? So what did I do? I looked at best practices, I set up for success, I prepared for the worst, we winged it. And you know what, we got raided too. And it knocked us down. They took everything but the office furniture in April of 2012. I didn't have any records to prove to anyone our business. I didn't have a choice. I couldn't even go for investors because I couldn't even show you a P&L. Nothing. Talk about bootstrap. It can be done. It's not easy, but it's often worth it because then you control your own destiny at the, at the end. I think that's a great place to wrap up. Plug some stuff here. Oaksterdam, give the official program. Thank you. <laughs> it's online now too, right? You can go to Oaksterdam online? Yeah, so. we're actually going online here very, very soon. Um, and I'm interested actually in doing some classes for investors and for startups. So, uh, you know, this is uh, near and dear to my heart and I realize it's very difficult for folks to necessarily always come to the school. Uh, depending on your lifestyles. We do have just a four-day um, condensed program so you can get in and get out and get back to business. Um, so I would strongly recommend that. Hopefully, uh, we'll have the full horticulture program up and able to take uh, at the very beginning of uh, the new year. And at the end of the day, um, whether it's your employees or yourself, you know, I often hear people say, I don't really have time. I'm just so busy. It's just this training and you know, what if I go through all of this and they leave? Or what if I decide to go do something else? What if you don't train and they stay? 
that goes for you too. So it's just something to think about, even if it's just to go meet the next business partner or operator or part of your chain of business or your life partner, in my case. You meet all kinds of things at Oaksterdam. So there's I hope a weekend to see you there. class too, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just a four-day class. You don't have to make class. a crazy commitment. Nope, yeah. not at all. In fact, for most people, it's more expensive to get there than it is to take classes. We're the same as a community college because we want to try to make this as access accessible as possible. And it's important not to just invest dumb money, right? Smart money, yeah? Smart Thank money. you, Elevate. Dale, it was awesome. I call, I call Dale DSJ. I'm trying to make that happen. I like it. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Go forth and conquer. And remember, and never doubt, a small group of citizens can change the world. It is indeed the only thing that ever has. Thank you. So did you like the show? Because this stuff costs money. Like we got lights, Jacob the director, Eric the producer. We'd like to be able to fly our guests out here. We go to Seattle. We're gonna go to Colorado soon. All this costs money, guys. So if you like this show, if you give a shit about cannabis, head over to patreon.com slash investing in cannabis. It's a great platform where you can donate, you know, five, ten dollars a month totally anonymously, so no one will know that you like weed or that you're supporting us. Uh, but if you listen to this show, if you watch it, if you care about it, you know, just give five, ten bucks a month, and that really does matter. It really does help us out. So thanks so much for doing that, and I hope you continue watching and you enjoy what we're doing here.